0: Tabooti, the Fight CRC Podcast. Colorectal cancer patients are often faced with circumstances related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabuti, the Fight CRC Podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. Listen in as we talk to experts, patients, and caregivers who provide accurate, real, and practical information for cancer survivors. It's time for us to bring these issues to light. Listen in from anywhere, from your car to the chemo chair. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org.
1: Hello, welcome to this month's Taboody podcast. I'm Sharon Worrell with Fight Colorectal Cancer, and today we have Chelsea Wasaski on the line. She's an oncology dietitian at Saver Health, which is an organization that provides comprehensive nutritional information for cancer patients in addition to personalized meal delivery services. Hi, Chelsea, thanks for joining. Hi. So to get started, Chelsea, can you give us a little background about what it means to be an oncology nutritionist versus a registered dietitian?
0: Yes, Um, so I'm an oncology nutritionist, which means that I have worked In the specific field of oncology for a certain number of working hours Um, after you earn those working hours you're able to sit for a certification exam and if you pass you become a certified specialist in oncology so basically it means Once you're a dietitian, you can specialize in oncology after you've worked a certain number of hours. And it really means that you're an expert in oncology nutrition, really understanding everything about oncology and nutrition from, you know, the different stages of treatment that patients are going through and specifically what they need nutrition-wise and how to best support them.
1: We know that nutrition plays a huge role in everything from side effect management to, um, I guess, reducing risk of recurrence. At what point would a colorectal cancer patient seek services from an oncology nutritionist?
0: Um, So if, they're able to, it's really best to meet with an oncology dietitian before you even get started with treatment. Not everyone has that ability, so at any point it really is um, very valuable. But if you're able to meet with an oncology dietitian before you start treatment and together create an individualized treatment nutrition game plan, um, then it would be very beneficial. And
1: what's kind of the best way to find an oncology nutritionist? Would it be at, at the cancer center where a patient's being treated or, or elsewhere?
0: Um, the best way to go about it would be to see if there is an oncology dietitian available at the treatment center that you are visiting, and that's because it will give the dietitian the opportunity to be part of your team as you go through all the different phases of treatment. Often, you know, we consult with doctors and nurses about different questions or concerns or ideas that we have about um, our patients who are undergoing treatment. So it's best if you have a dietitian at the center who can kind of join your medical team um, and be part of that integral team. So
1: let's talk about some hot topic food items. And today we're going to focus on fiber, sugar, and meat. Um, I think that's all we have time for. So let's start with fiber. What is it? How does it affect our health? Um, why should a colorectal cancer patient be concerned with fiber or knowing the different types of fiber.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And just quickly going back to something that you mentioned before, one of the benefits of working with an oncology dietitian is we can kind of really be, you know, your your resource to to dig through and delve through all the information that is out there, um, if you start googling and searching, you know, information on the internet, like you said, there's really so much out there. So we can kind of help you hone in on what's true and what might be more, you know, uh, more of a myth. Um, in terms of fiber, the first thing that um, we like to talk about is there's really two different types of fiber. Fiber is more of a broad term to break it down there are insoluble fibers and then there's soluble fibers and I'll go through each one Um, so insoluble fibers are more like roughage they add bulk to your stool and they speed up digestion Um, so if you are suffering from constipation or you're more prone to constipation and you're maybe starting Um, some sort of cancer treatment that has a side effect of constipation, you're going to want to eat more insoluble fiber in your diet. Good sources of insoluble fiber are things like whole grains, 100% whole grains, brown rice, whole grain pasta, whole grain bread, um, raw or dried fruits, especially things that have little seeds and skins like berries. Those have a lot of insoluble fiber. Um, vegetables also with seeds and skins like zucchinis and cucumbers and tomatoes have a lot of insoluble fiber and also nuts. Um, So if you are having constipation as a side effect of treatment or you're more prone to constipation you would want to eat more insoluble fiber um, in your meals. On the other hand There is soluble fiber which works completely differently it actually absorbs water as it moves through your GI tract and it firms up really loose bowel movements it also slows down digestion a bit so if you're suffering from diarrhea or if you're experiencing diarrhea or um, you are starting some sort of cancer treatment that has a side effect of potentially causing diarrhea, you're going to want to be aware of these soluble fiber foods to include them in your diet as you need. Um, Some examples of foods high in soluble fiber are bananas, applesauce, or you could peel apples and maybe uh, bake them for a little bit, oatmeal, and mashed potatoes.
1: Thanks so much for that great description. Um, Lots of colorectal cancer patients at some point um, go on, at some point during their treatment, go on a low residue diet. Um, Which type of fiber would fall into that category? Which fibers should be excluded? And which ones are more or less okay to continue eating?
0: So, soluble fiber would be better to eat on a lower-residue diet because it eliminates that sort of roughage and bulk um, to your stool. So, the soluble fiber foods like bananas, oatmeal, applesauce, or peeled apples and mashed potatoes would be easier to tolerate on that lower-residue diet. If you have been instructed to follow a low-residue diet, you want to definitely avoid those insoluble fibers. Think like if you're putting something in your mouth and you really have to chew, chew, chew it down, like the skin of an apple or the seeds in a cucumber. Those things um, are going to add a lot of roughage and bulk to your stool, and you want to limit them um, if you're on a low-residue diet.
1: All right. Well, let's switch gears to our next hot topic food item, sugar. How does it affect cancer, if at all, and should we be avoiding it?
0: Yeah, so sugar is a very, very hot topic right now, and we kind of need to go through a little bit of very easy biochemistry lesson to kind of understand where this whole idea comes from. So I'll break it down um, in an easy to understand way, and then we can talk about, you know, how to eliminate some of the um, not-so-good sources of sugar in your diet. So this idea that sugar feeds cancer cells comes from the fact that glucose, which is a form of sugar that's used by our body, feeds every type of cells, whether they're healthy or unhealthy. Our brain uses a lot of glucose throughout the day and requires a big amount of glucose to function normally. So even if we stopped eating you know, all sources of carbohydrates, Um, And sugar and glucose our body would still find a way to kind of create glucose so that our brain and other organs can function normally our body would turn you know protein and fats into glucose to kind of support your body functions people might think, oh, I heard, you know, sugar is not good and I'm going to stop eating all sources of carbohydrates which turn into glucose. Even doing that would not prevent your body from making glucose. Um, Now, this being said, there is some research showing that there is a relationship between cell growth and sugar intake, but it more relates to how hormones act in our body. So when we eat sugar-containing foods, any type of sugar-containing foods, whether it's you know a big bowl of ice cream, some candies, um, some breakfast pastries, or even fruit—anything that has sort of carbohydrates or sugar in it—our bodies produce insulin, which is a hormone that's involved in cell metabolism. So this hormone, insulin, can influence cancer cell growth because when insulin is circulating in your blood it leads to more growth hormones in the body, which makes cells grow. Many types of cancer cells also have insulin receptors, and they respond to this insulin that's circulating in the body. So the thought, that, the thought is that if we have more insulin in the body, it can lead to more cell growth. There also are some factors that can cause really high insulin levels consistently, like being sedentary, Uh, low physical activity and being overweight or obese this being said um, the research really shows that people who are eating really really processed foods all the time diets high in sugar might have more circulating insulin and thus can cause all different types of cells to grow in our body but this doesn't mean you know once in a while if we enjoy an ice cream cone or you know, a muffin that it's going to be detrimental. So the bottom line really is to eliminate processed foods that don't really provide anything but sugar, cut down on added sugars as much as you can. And to eat more, you know, whole foods and natural sources of sugar like fruit. Super
1: interesting, Chelsea, and great information. And I wonder for other reasons too. I mean, sugar has been linked to an increase in diabetes and other comorbidities, um, obesity as one of them. Um, cutting back on processed foods and added sugars could be a good lifestyle, lifestyle change for many of these other reasons as well.
0: Definitely. And I think um, just making a few small changes in your diet, you can eliminate a lot of added sugars some easy examples of things that you can start looking for if you're trying to cut down on those added sugars um, are when you're buying you know um, bread or English muffins in the grocery store look at the different sugar content see if they're adding sugar to sweeten these whole grain breads. Even just swapping out plain Greek yogurt for the flavored the fruit flavored Greek yogurts eliminates a lot of sugar, and then you can add your own things to make plain yogurt a little bit more flavorful, like cinnamon or fresh or frozen fruits, or a little sprinkle of nuts.
1: Great tips. So let's move on to our third food item, red meat. Uh, A 2015 meta-analysis reported a 17% increased risk for people eating a certain amount of red or processed meat every day. I'm sorry, a 17% increased risk for, of colorectal cancer, of developing colorectal cancer. Can you talk about what this means and whether or not we should cut out these food
0: items completely? Sure. Um, so there's two different categories when we're talking about red meat and processed meats. Um, red meats include beef, lamb and pork and they have been linked to an increased risk of colorectal cancer Um, there is a specific threshold in the research that kind of shows if you eat this much there is no increased risk but if you eat more than that there's possibly an increased risk and this amount is 18 ounces of cooked red meat per week so if you're eating less than 18 ounces of cooked red meat per week, this is okay, and if you eat more than that, there might be an increased risk. So we work with our clients to make sure that they're following this specific guideline when it comes to um, how much beef, lamb, or pork that they're eating. So a good way to estimate how much 18 ounces of red meat a week would be is to think in terms of a deck of cards. A deck of cards is about three ounces of boneless cooked weight. So it would be it would be about four ounces of raw meat that turns into three ounces of cooked meat. So you can have that basically six times a week. If you're going out to a restaurant and you're getting something like a six ounce steak, then you can have this three times a week, so it kind of depends on um, the portion size, but you can kind of go from three ounces as a deck of cards and figure out throughout the week how much you would be eating. So at
1: Fight Colorectal Cancer, we've written about red meat a little bit in the past, and according to um, the meta-analysis, we see the increased risk for people who are eating about 100 grams a day, um, which you can think of as like a quarter-pound burger. Um, or 50 grams a day of the processed meat, which is about one hot dog a day. Um, but Chelsea, can you explain to us why red meat and processed meats, um, could increase a person's cancer risk?
0: So just to talk a little bit about the length between red meat and cancer risk, Um, The research shows that it might be related to something called the heme iron. Heme iron kind of gives red meat that distinctive red color, but this um, heme iron can be damaging to the lining of the colon. Um, Also, when you cook red meat at really high temperatures, it can produce two carcinogens that you may have heard of. These are called heterocyclic amines, or HCAs, and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, or PAHs. So these are carcinogenic compounds that develop in the meat when it's cooked at very high temperatures. Um, This is why you may have heard um, to cut off the charred portion of red meat if it's cooked over an open flame and then in terms of um, processed meat, it's kind of in its own category. So processed meat is basically defined as some sort of meat. It's usually red meat that has been preserved either by curing or smoking, salting, or some sort of like chemical preservative that's added to it. Um, And it typically includes things like bacon and ham, sausages and hot dogs, but also um, some lunch or deli meats like pastrami, bologna, salami, corned beef, pepperoni, those types of things. Mm -hmm. It's not exactly clear how processed meat is related to cancer risk, but there is some research that shows that the... Um, processing of the red meat produces several cancer-promoting substances like nitrates and and nitroso compounds um, in the red meat that can potentially be carcinogenic.
1: So I think that's all we have time for for this Hot Topics edition of Tabuti. Um, Thank you so much, Chelsea, for taking the time out of your day to inform us about oncology nutrition and um, you know, sugar, meat, and fiber. And for future topics related to food, I think we will address organic versus conventional versus genetically modified foods. Um, in additional, in addition to um, some different supplements that we often hear about. So, Chelsea, do you have any additional tips or any anything to to close
0: us out? Definitely, I think um, with all the research that is out there, people can get um, you know flustered and frustrated about what they should eat and what they shouldn't eat. And the bottom line is whether you choose to incorporate more organic foods, whether you're um, avoiding genetically modified crops, um, or any sort of um, any sort of piece of information that you're trying to incorporate in your diet, there is so much research out there that the more fruits and vegetables and plant-based foods that you're eating, the lower his or her risk of cancer and other disease can be. So whether it's organic, non-organic, um, conventional, or gi- free of GMOs, the most important thing is just to be eating a healthy diet and you know fueling your body with the best nutrition as you're going through treatment and all of the phases of survivorship as well
1: thanks so much chelsea and saver health for all the work that you do and for um you know sharing all this great information today i know i learned a lot and i certainly hope that our listeners have as well um have a have a wonderful day
0: thank you so much for having us thanks for tuning in Please remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your health care team. For more resources, visit us on the web at fightcolorectalcancer.org.